Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Writer's Routine. This week we're chatting to Sarah Pierce. Her debut, The Sanatorium, was the best-selling debut fiction book of 2021. Her new one is called The Retreat. Now we talk about how she moved from being commended for writing short stories to getting long-form fiction down. Also how much she has to change the scenes that she writes straight away. And what she does when things just aren't clicking. If you're struggling with a scene, quite often I find it's because the scene isn't working in general and probably wouldn't work for the reader, I guess. Um, yeah, there's definite sort of scenes in, in both books that kind of came to me and worked really well. Um, I'd given them quite a bit of thought. And I found that even when they were edited, they weren't changed very much. Um, and that's a sign, you know, a scene's working. So, yeah, I think coming at it from a different angle or trying to come in later um, can be another good fix. There is more with Sarah Pierce in this week's Writer's Routine. Yes, welcome along. Thank you for finding us. This is Writer's Routine. My name's Dan Simpson. It's where we take a look inside the working day of some of the most successful writers around. And this week's episode of the show is supported by the new book from Natalie Chandler. It's called Believe Me Not. Have a listen to the blurb for this story. And tell me, tell me that you are not instantly hooked. It's all about Megan, who wakes up in a hospital bed. And the first question that she asks is, where's my baby? But her husband, sister... And doctors all say the baby doesn't exist. Megan isn't in a hospital ward. She's in a psychiatric unit. But she is convinced that she was pregnant and that everyone else is lying to her. Now, how can you prove your baby exists when you can't trust your own memories and you can't trust the people of those you love? I mean, come on. Come on. Instantly, I'm in. Just if you need more convincing that the writing in this is superb, uh, listen to this first paragraph, the very first thing you read. Even before it became clear that she was being held prisoner in a cell masquerading as a hospital room, she knew that something was missing, something physical, something vital. Do you feel that? The words in that paragraph are so emphatic, so purposeful, yet so colourful as well and the rest of the book is exactly the same. Now if you enjoyed The Perfect Father 
that huge book from the last year or so, or The Recovery of Rose Gold or Playing Nice by J.P. Delaney, you will enjoy this book. Now, the idea for Believe Me Not uh, came to Natalie in a dream, and that's really all that she needed. She is a committed, confirmed pantser. So she got that initial nub and just started typing. She told Megan's story, finding out why she was in the ward, had the baby ever existed, uh, and, and whether everyone really was lying to her along the way, when the reader finds it out. And Natalie also works in behaviour education and specialises in writing emotional and mental health issues. So she knows about the mindset behind what she's writing. Why is Megan in that psychiatric unit? Why did she think she was in a hospital ward? Why did she think she was pregnant? Was she right? Was she wrong? Is everyone lying to her? If you want to know what's wrong with Megan, if that baby ever existed, if she can trust everyone around her then get a copy of Believe Me Not. It's by Natalie Chandler. It's supporting the show this week and it's out right now. Now, this week on the show, we're chatting to Sarah Pierce. Her debut was The Sanatorium. It was the best-selling debut fiction book of last year. It was a New York Times bestseller, a Sunday Times bestseller. It was a Waterstones thriller of the month and made it as a Reese Witherspoon book club pick. Uh, she's had short fiction published in the past in magazines. She's been shortlisted for prizes and her new one is called The Retreat. It's all about an eco-wellness retreat on an island off the coast of Devon, an island promising rest and relaxation, but maybe something mysterious is lurking on the rocks. It's known locally as Reaper's Rock, a supposedly cursed place with a dark past. And that seems to come true when a young woman's body is found lying nearby. And no one knows if that woman was ever meant to be at the retreat in the first place. We talk about how quite a lot of her writing routine is dedicated by her family and then where she goes if she needs inspiration. Also how much she thinks about writing genre and how much that changes the pacing, the structure and the actual words on the page. You can hear why her best thoughts come to her at night, like so many of us find it, and what she does to try and remember them when she wakes up the next morning. And we get into it with what Sarah Pierce sees around her in the place where she sits down to write. This is actually sort of a shared, I suppose, office study space between um, my husband and I. So we have a mixture of sort of his books, my books, um, files... Um, sort of things we've collected over the years. I can see a sort of random teddy bear, which was my husband's when he was a child. Um, and then we've got a sort of shelf um, with some of my books. Um, so we have both the sanatorium and the retreat. Um, yeah, and just generally sort of an office space, I suppose. And then through the window, I can see our sort of hedge at the back of our garden and some blue sky. So if it's a, sh a shared space where you're both using it and you're writing there, what have you done to kind of make it yours I guess creatively when you are working anything that inspires you all around I said probably the view out of the window actually I I've kind of got a setup behind me where I record sort of zooms and it is quite inspiring I think sort of seeing other people's books um and my own um that sort of spurs me on but I think probably the view from the window I kind of wherever I am I try and make sure I have a view sort of of nature and I think sort of my books are sort of suffused in nature I suppose so yeah for me looking outside that's sort of where I yeah get my creativity um is there anything around you that's maybe a bit more practical for your story? Is that post-it notes or a whiteboard with plot points on it, perhaps? 
Yeah, no, I have um, sort of scrapbooks, actually. So something I started with my first novel, I think probably because I wasn't actually there when I was writing it. So the sanatorium sort of set in um, an isolated sort of hotel that was once a sanatorium in the mountains. Um, And I go to the mountains a lot. But during the periods, obviously, I wasn't there. I used a lot of my own photographs and kind of imagery um, online, um, imagery from magazines. And so, yeah, I have sort of my scrapbooks around me, which I find really inspiring. And then notebooks. I am... I tend to sort of draft by hand sometimes. So I probably have far too many notebooks. Um, and if I lose one, I start another, which which isn't good. Uh, husband not too happy with the piles of, of notebooks. But yeah, I kind of have sort of my writing around me. Um, and I will transfer to the laptop um, when I get to sort of later stage. But those very early drafts are sort of by hand. What types of things are, are written in the notebooks? So uh, what forms do your notes take? Yeah, so they can be anything, I suppose, from sort of the initial um, ideas, so jotting down sort of plot points. Um, um, I suppose my characters, um, one of the things I like to do is sort of dig under the skin of my characters a little bit more. Um, so I'll write kind of character traits, what they do and don't like. Um, and then, yeah, actually, actual scenes. So quite often, um, I don't suppose I write in a linear fashion at the beginning. Um, when I get sort of very excited by an idea, there's sort of scenes which almost sort of come to me, I suppose, quite cinematically. Um, and really sort of, yeah, I'm just infused by. So I'll dive into that scene right away. And it probably isn't um, chronological, <laughs> um, which means a little bit of work, uh, reworking it later on. But no, that's, um, yeah, probably the uh, contents of my notebook. Now, the show is writer's routine there, Sarah. Just talk us through yours. So I guess the moment you wake up to the moment you go to bed on a day when you are writing, how does the whole thing look? Yeah. So on a day I'm writing, I like to start the day after I've kind of done admin and school runs, etc. I like to start the day with a walk. I find I kind of get a lot of my thinking, iron out any sort of kinks in the plot, that kind of thing on, on walks. And it just clears my head for sort of sitting down at the desk all day. So I'll go on the walk and then I make myself a huge cup of coffee <laughs> um, and sit down at my desk and then yeah, really sort of start on the writing. And I have to say, I like to have sort of total silence. I know some authors sort of listen to music but I kind of need to have quiet. I'll have my sort of cats um, sat on the end of the bed if I'm writing in the bedroom or somewhere in this sort of office space um, or kitchen. And then I sort of just sit and write sort of solidly, I suppose, until lunchtime um, when I take a sort of short break. Um, But my sort of end of day is bookended by sort of more school runs. So I try and sort of work pretty much all afternoon until the school run. Um, And then providing everything's quiet, I'll kind of continue on till about sort of five. Um, And yeah, sometimes in the evening um, I'll write, but it tends to just be more sort of plot ideas rather than sort of actual writing time. I think my brain's probably better first thing in the morning rather than later in the day. So that's quite, um, it's quite like a formatted strict thing that you're you know when you're writing you know when you've got to pick up the kids you know when you're stopping writing uh you mentioned that sometimes you're writing in the office other times in the bedroom or in the kitchen what determines where you fancy working that day really kind of how it's sort of worked with sort of family life so if it's sort of school holidays and children are home um I'll be sort of locking myself in an office in the office sort of space um but sometimes I honestly just like sort of a change of scenery so the kitchen's sort of quite a nice big open space and yeah if I'm sort of feeling probably stressed about something I like to kind of go down there um and have the sort of space around me um and write so it kind of is probably on a mood thing a bit of a whim really Um, And yeah, if I sort of have to concentrate in the bedroom, I sort of face a wall, there's a view either side. But yeah, sometimes I kind of want that absolute focus and I'll sort of tuck myself away in there. You're quite, as I say, uh, 
you you know how long you need to work for that day. Have you got an idea of what the aim for the day is? Is there a word count goal? Is it a point in the story that you'd like to get to? Yeah, not necessarily a word count goal, but I think the latter probably a point in the story. Um, I very much kind of work via sort of plot points and sort of points I need to hit. I don't always have scenes exactly mapped out. Um, and yeah, I kind of work towards that goal of I sort of roughly know where I need to go. I kind of segment my novel. Um, when I'm working, I like to sort of print off progress once it's sort of typed up. And I have sort of separate folders for certain points of the novel, which I've done in the sort of sanatorium and the retreat. Um, and yeah, I kind of very much have an idea of sort of where I want to hit at that point. And then sort of at the end of the day, I'll print off and put that in my folder. And that sort of gets me to that goal. Um, I suppose sort of, yeah, plot point goal. So you're, you don't... It's interesting that you don't like know every single thing that's happening at every single point, but you've got this quite, you know, quite systematic folder thing going on where, how has that developed over time? It's the first time I think I've spoken to an author who has separate folders for different parts of the story. Yeah, it's kind of my little technique, actually. And I think it was a way, I think probably with the sanatorium, um, I didn't, at that time, obviously, when writing it, I didn't have a publisher. So it was obviously very much sort of self-motivated. And I think it's quite hard when you don't have those deadlines uh, to, I suppose, give yourself mini goals. Um, and what I did, I sort of segmented the story into sort of, yeah, what I knew were the major sort of plot points I wanted to hit. Um, and then, yeah, having those folders done, um, and sort of almost stacked up on my shelf, I kind of have them, was really satisfying. And also when it came to editing, it was hugely helpful. So rather than thinking I've got this, you know, 100,000 word, 90,000 word novel to edit, I'd consider it kind of in chunks. So I'd have my sort of first section, the setup sort of scenes is one folder. And it was really satisfying to sort of almost tick each folder off. Um, and yeah, another thing about the sort of folder method, I suppose printing off in general, I work really better. I work really well when I have sort of, yeah, the page printed off in front of me. Um, I can see things that aren't working. The language, um, appears, I suppose, yeah, I can see what's working and what's not working in the language in a way that I can't on screen. I find the sort of sentences tend to blur a little bit more into one. I think I'm harsher on myself uh, when things are printed off. So yeah, the folder method is the one I'm sticking to. <laughs> I have the beginning, the middle and the end. And then I sort of work the separate sort of major turning points, I suppose, in the novel from there. Um, but yeah, on a scene by scene basis, I don't really have um, an idea before I sit down to write, I'll kind of sketch it out, but I don't have the whole thing done in advance. That's probably done, you know, as I'm coming up to that point in the novel. Um, I sort of know what's going to happen, but yeah, I don't have everything mapped up. I think for me, knowing everything would probably take some of the magic of exploring the characters, exploring their sort of, um, yeah, motivations and desires. I think once I actually start to get to write them, I suppose, is when I get to know them. Um, I very much sort of map out their backstories and kind of get under the skin of the characters. But yeah, I don't always know how they're going to react in situations. So I think if I had it all mapped out, it would probably take some of the intrigue for me as an author away. At the end of your writing day, when you've got the kids home, you said that, uh, that there might be like a little space in the evening where you can get some work done. But how good are you at switching off and... and uh, stop thinking about the book through the evening when you've got family things to deal with? That's actually a really, really good question. I think probably when it comes to sort of deadline or if I'm feeling a little bit behind on something, not very good at all. I find it all consuming. So I'll be thinking about it kind of while I'm watching TV or trying to sort of read for my own pleasure. 
um, and it's really hard. But I think providing sort of things are going well and I've met my deadlines, I'm fairly good in the evenings at switching off. And like I said, I think my sort of brain doesn't work so well in the evening. So, yeah, I find it quite easy to switch off. But, yeah, if something's going wrong, um, I'll, I'll be thinking and thinking about it. And I, actually, I have to say it's probably quite a good thing because sometimes you're sort of think about it I suppose subconsciously maybe as you're sort of drifting off to sleep and often in the morning I'll come back to my desk and the sort of it, the problem doesn't seem as big as it was um so yeah it's probably quite helpful uh, we can get quite niche and nerdy on the show uh, you've said that you said that you write some things with your notebook when you are working on a computer wh- what is it what software are you using and also what font do you write with Oh, yeah. No, that is quite niche. Mm. I have to say I'm probably super basic. I write in Word um, on my MacBook. Um, and yeah, my font is Times New Roman. Um, and th- I think a size 13 to get even more niche and nerdy. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is, that, yeah, that's quite basic, I have to say. But if it works, it works, it works. Yep. Uh, and, on, and, on, and I know that you've said you have a massive cup of coffee and you'll go for a walk at the start of the day. You don't really have music on. When the words are struggling to come out when you are finding it hard to write what do you do to kind of spur it on a tad i think probably apart from more coffee and lots of snacks um i think probably i just i suppose i've learned a bit more resilience and not to be so tough on myself after writing the sanatorium i tend to just try and plow on and accept that the writing is probably on a sentence level not exactly (laughs) um what i want but i can go and fix that back in the edit i think as long as i feel i'm getting words down um and i'm moving the plot along um that's enough and another thing i do will actually just go back to the actual plotting so if i feel like a scene isn't working or the writing isn't coming out i kind of try and think right how can i improve this sort of scene can i come a little bit later in in the action leave a little bit earlier and sort of yeah work out what isn't working in the scene i think that's if you're struggling with a scene quite often i find it's because the scene isn't working in general and probably wouldn't work for the reader i guess um yeah there's definite sort of scenes in in both books that kind of came to me and worked really well um i've given them quite a bit of thought and I found that even when they were edited, they weren't changed very much. Um, and that's a sign, you know, a scene's working. So, yeah, I think coming at it from a different angle or trying to come in later um, can be another good fix. What's interesting is that you're on your, you, The Retreat is your second novel. I know that you've published um, short stories before and you've written other pieces. But you're, you're speaking and the way that you're analysing how you write and what you can do to fix it. Like you just say, maybe come in later, maybe you do this, do that. You you sound like you've had more publication experience than you have had. Where does that come from? Where does this knowledge and interest in the craft of writing come from? I think probably, um, I suppose, university. So I studied, I was sort of one of the first students. It's quite a novel thing to have sort of an English and creative writing degree. Um, and I was at Warwick. And yeah, the, the tutors were quite, um, I suppose, quite strict on sort of studying the craft. So we had sort of um, various screenwriting books. I think it was Story by, I think it's Robert McKee. Um, lots and lots of sort of books about craft, which I think was a really good sort of um, I suppose basic basis for anything, and I think a lot of it also came from writing short fiction. Um, I think I yeah wrote a lot of short stories, and I think in short stories the sort of brevity of them forces you to sort of analyse what works and doesn't work, and quite often they can almost be a scene or a snapshot of kind of an emotion on their own. Um, and I think that's definitely helped with writing 
a longer piece of work. I think there's definite challenges with the novel that you don't get in a short story. But I think if you look at it on a chapter by chapter level, the sort of art of writing a short story and understanding what makes it work and what grabs the reader has definitely helped it helped. And even though I was writing sort of, I suppose, short fiction in a completely different genre to the one I'm writing now, it has definitely helped me. And I would always advise any sort of a writer to definitely sort of, if you're struggling to sort of, I suppose, on a confidence level or on a technical level to write a novel, to really look at short stories. Um, they are a genre very much of their own, but I found them hugely helpful. And then how does it help or how does it maybe become a hindrance moving from short stories to long form fiction? Because suddenly instead of getting a uh, a tale wrapped up in a few thousand words, you've got to drag it on to 90,000. How much help is that? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely, yeah, the, the length is, is a huge challenge when you sort of switch to, I suppose, writing a novel. And that's for me is probably where the sort of folder method came in. I was kind of giving myself very much sort of minimised goals, a bit similar to a short story um, by doing that. But yeah, I think you really have to sort of learn, I suppose, how and uh, the narrative arc, the sort of character arcs work in a novel. Um, and yeah, definitely the short story, I suppose, was no no help in that way. I think you probably have to, for me, it was very much sort of studying, reading other novels and sort of trying to, I suppose, work out how did they do it? What do I like about that book? What don't I like about that book? What works for me? Um, and I think one of the things I learned quite quickly was that there is no, I suppose, fixed way of doing it, because I think what I might like about a novel, someone else wouldn't. So I suppose I could only write the sort of story that I would like to read myself. Um, so, yeah, in a long way of saying it, I don't think the short story's particularly helped in terms of the length of writing a novel. <laughs> um, yeah, you were saying just a second ago um, how when you can't think of words to write down, when when, when, when maybe you, you, you're aware that it's not the, the perfect prose, you might just write something just to get the words down. I, I I know this is quite basic, but are you just writing any old thing? Are you maybe bracketing it and saying, we'll fix later? Like, how are you working through that? Yeah, definitely. It, if it's kind of a scene where I simply kind of want to almost, I suppose, explore where the plot's going um, and even things like description. So if I'm describing a scene and that isn't really how I would like to describe it, I'll kind of almost put like a note form, you know, what the character's seeing as they're looking around, the vista, the view. Um, and yeah, for me, that's just almost feeling my way around a scene. And I have to say more often than not by doing that, by the end, there will be sentences I'll like. Um, it's kind of almost putting yourself in the shoes of either that person or that point of view and kind of just yeah very basically almost like just jotting down what can they see what they're feeling in sort of very basic prose and then yeah coming back to sort of fix that on a sentence level later um, but as I say more often than not by doing that I think you've just taken the step of actually committing words to paper um, and I think a lot of people get scared because they might sit down and for 15 minutes nothing sort of comes out I suppose um, but I think you know as I say more often than not if you give yourself sort of a longer period of time um, it will happen I think it can just take longer sometimes to get into that story Step onto the legendary clay court of Roland Garros where the world's best players battle it out for a chance to win the French Open title Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV, live in HD. Don't miss a moment with daily live coverage and match replays on demand, beginning Monday, May 20th. Be there for all the unforgettable moments. Stream now with Tennis Channel Plus. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous to your contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. We'll be back with more from Sarah in just a sec. This week's episode of Writer's Routine is supported by Believe Me Not. It's the new novel by Natalie Chandler, where Megan wakes up thinking she's in a hospital. It turns out she's in a psychiatric unit. The baby that she thought she was having possibly never existed. It's Believe Me Not by Natalie Chandler. Your book can sponsor the show next week, by the way. If you've written something, if you want to get it out there, if you think it has deserved uh, more shouting than it's had so far, let me know. Support us at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. It doesn't take a lot, just a few dollars a month. It helps us keep this show going and it helps us to keep shouting about what you have done. For that, you get our eternal thanks. There is merch. There is a way for your book to sponsor the show as well. And it helps you be part of this writing community, be part of the conversations that we have on our Patreon page. It's a one dude operation around here. It's just me that's trying and sometimes struggling to do everything and you can help that carry on. Doesn't take a lot. Just a little bit every month goes an extraordinarily long way. I really appreciate it and can promise that. To support the show, become a backer and pledge to the show at patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Let's get back to it then with Sarah Pierce talking about her new novel, The Retreat. It's all about D.S. Ellen Walker called to a new mysterious eco-retreat when a young woman's body is found on the rocks in the ocean and no one had any idea she was meant to be there in the first place. We talk about how much she has to change the scenes that she writes as soon as she has that very first idea. Also, about how exciting this time is for her right now. I mean, her debut was the best-selling debut of last year. It was a Reese Witherspoon book club pick, which is extraordinarily hard to say, but... I think it's the first author I've spoken to where that's happened. Uh, you know, a lot's going on. There's a lot of hype around this new one about the retreat. How exciting is it to be in her shoes right now? And we pick things up talking about changing from writing short stories to now working on full-on novels. One of the things I was really conscious of, which I suppose I didn't have to think about so much within the sort of short fiction it's just pacing I think if you're writing a thriller or a crime novel like you say from a genre point of view I think you have to just be really aware that on a sentence level um yeah you need to keep the pace moving and I think I have quite a lot of description in in my novels I think they're sort of quite sort of firmly rooted in nature and I think there's definite sort of room um for sort of longer sentences for example but when I'm in action scenes I'm very aware of sort of you know, having the shorter sentences, the shorter paragraphs and keeping things moving. I think probably I have a tendency to 
overwrite um, because I might get caught up in a piece of description and then I kind of have to go back through and go, right, what is strictly necessary to keep the story um, moving forwards? And like I said at the beginning, kind of coming into a scene a bit later than I otherwise would or leaving it kind of a little bit early. Um, and another sort of big tip I read, and I can't remember who actually, um, it was another author online, I can't remember kind of who said it, but it was kind of really to slow the sort of... Um, action scenes down which sounds counterintuitive but um it's kind of that those are the moments where you can kind of afford to sort of almost kind of go bit by bit so describing kind of perhaps the bead of sweat dripping down your protagonist's brow or yeah really sort of immersing the reader in those scenes so yeah there's quite a lot i suppose that goes into thinking about which chapter you need to kind of have that frenetic pace and how you pace it i think pacing isn't necessarily to do with um yeah, what you're describing. I think it's sort of how you do it on that sentence level. So, um, yeah, there's quite a lot, I suppose, that goes into sort of understanding what a, a thriller reader would want as opposed to, yeah, perhaps more literary fiction. And when you have written quite complex prose that's maybe over the top, is, is that all you're asking yourself when you're trying to whittle it down? What is necessary? Yeah, it's definitely what what is necessary, I suppose. It's kind of, I think there's things that you perhaps almost enjoy the sound of a sentence in your own head as you're sort of reading through, but then thinking, is that just sort of, I suppose, yeah, you just enjoying it as an author, I suppose a bit of a vanity thing, or is it actually strictly necessary for the reader? And I think that's where your editors are really, really helpful. Um, they kind of don't have that emotional attachment to that particular paragraph or that piece of description that might be essential to you. And I have to say they're right, you know, pretty much all the time. There's kind of paragraphs I had in, I suppose, the initial draft of the retreat that I thought, you know, were really essential to the description of um, Ellen and Will's apartment, for example. And then my editor um, has sort of come through and cut out. And actually, I haven't missed them at all. But at the beginning, I was like, there's absolutely, you know, that, that paragraph's really key. But yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> so yeah, you've got to learn to be really humble quite quickly. <laughs> uh, what does it take for you to write a book? You must have quite a few ideas floating around because this is this is your second so i imagine it might might be tougher when you've written you know 25 books in the same character to find another reason why someone's investigating a crime but you're kind of starting out uh what does it take for you to think an idea is a goer what does it need to give to you Oh my gosh. Yeah. Another really good question, actually. Um, I think for me, it's got to be an idea I'm really genuinely excited by and that kind of wants to sort of make me sit down at my desk in the morning in both the sanatorium and the retreat. I had kind of quite a lot of research I needed to do in terms of sort of the ideas. I had sort of lots of um, yeah, I suppose stories I wanted to know more about that kind of got me excited to research and then to write the book. Um, and yeah, I think you've got to really sort of, um, yeah, want to sit down at the desk. And if the idea sort of draws you and makes you want to read lots about it and do lots of research, that's a good sign. Um, and I think, yeah, I think you, there's ways of writing sort of stories. Um, and I think for me that that are new, I suppose, and kind of keeps things fresh. So in the retreat, we had sort of some points of view, but it was mainly from Ellen's in, sorry, in the sanatorium. And in the retreat, we have a different point of view. So um, uh, one of the sisters who comes to the retreat with her family. Um, and I think sort of keeping things fresh in terms of how you structure things also helps, um, particularly if you're writing a series. And probably for my third book, I'm going to experiment a little bit again um, so yeah, I think sort of a, a combination of sort of, yeah, how do you sort of mix it up and keep things fresh on a structural level and an idea that, yeah, just, just pulls you in. It's interesting that 
you've had some success with the sanatorium and it was critically acclaimed and it sold pretty well. Um, and yet you're talking about as you move on, you're, you'll be experimenting with things. It, it, you know, it's the idea of, oh, I'll give this a go. And it's just quite, it's just quite fascinating that you're giving it a go for what could be a bet. Like this is your career. It could be a best selling uh, novel or what, what you try out might make it absolutely flop in fairness like how, how do you kind of deal with your needs to grow and experiment as an author but also you gotta sell books to make some money yeah definitely I think it's kind of understanding kind of what I suppose works still within the constraints of the genre so what the sort of reader would expect from that genre but keeping things interesting for you I think a few people have said you know the sanatorium was a success you know what was their pressure with the retreat that is and there isn't I think as a as an author you can really only write you can never please anyone definitely I've learned um from sort of critical feedback from my very first sort of fiction I wrote on my degree course and, and with the book so yeah I think you can only write the book that interests and excites you and you'd like to read and I think genuinely if the success comes from that great um if it doesn't then okay because I think you know I get pleasure from the writing and I think you know your editors are there with you to sort of help guide you and you know hopefully that works with with what readers want but yeah I don't know whether you can kind of you know think I must write a carbon copy of the next book I think as long as it sort of works and it's a, a crime thriller um within the genre I think there's definitely sort of room to take a few risks um, without veering away I suppose completely <laughs> Was there any pressure in not the way you wrote it? Forget about that, but more that initial idea when you think, well, that 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 was sold, you know, well and won awards, and well, you need to write again. Is this idea good enough? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think all writers are sort of, I suppose, riddled with self doubt. Um, I think it's such a tricky game, particularly when you're sort of starting off in your career and you get all the inevitable rejection. So, I think for me, definitely, there's always sort of, you know is this right? Is this right? But yeah, I think, again, if you kind of go back to sort of, if you know whether it's a good idea, if the idea really excites and intrigues you, I think, you know, that's quite a good sign in itself. Um, And it definitely doesn't mean, you know, it's going to be received in the same way. But I think hopefully if it captures your imagination, and then also, I suppose, a little bit of a test I do is sort of describe it to my husband and describe it to sort of family members, the sort of rough idea. And if it's something they're like, oh, that sounds interesting. You know, I definitely want to read about that. Um, then that, I suppose, gives you more confidence. But I think, you know, really openly, and I'm being totally honest here, I think during the writing process, when you're writing a novel, I go through huge sort of peaks and troughs in confidence. You know, you can have days where you think, oh, this idea is amazing. It's sort of working so well. And then you have a few days where, you know, it's a bit of a slog and you think, oh, is that a good idea? Um, but yeah, I think, to be honest, it'll probably be like that through e- with every book. <laughs> um, a bit of a roller coaster of emotion as you write it. I love books, I suppose, that are sort of set on islands. Agatha Christie and then The Manan is sort of one of my favourite of hers. But it was the kind of initial idea. I'd always wanted to write a book set on this island. It's actually kind of really close to where I live. Um, and I, in the book, I've got to put the island a little bit further out to sea, sort of played, uh, had taken liberties with the hydrography, I suppose. But yeah, the idea of sort of having people on an, in an isolated location in the sanatorium, obviously they're stuck up a mountain. But I think on an island, I suppose it's even more extreme, particularly if you have an extreme of weather. Um, And I really wanted to play with the idea of this sort of wild island. So in the book, we have sort of this luxe retreat, which I suppose populates only a small percentage of the island. And then the other half of the island is very sort of wild, uh, tangled, sort of foliage, really, yeah, an extreme landscape. 
Um, and I thought, yeah, it's really exciting to sort of put your characters under that kind of tension um, when there's sort of no room to escape. As you say, the sort of characters are automatically in close confines with one another. Um, and I think that's sort of when you see tempers start to fray. And yeah, I suppose the juxtaposition between um, this sort of luxe environment and kind of the bad things that go on to happen. It's, yeah, very exciting. So you know that you want to write about this, but you need a plot in there. So you need you need to chuck a dead body into the situation, I would imagine. How um, how are you kind of making that happen organically when you're initially thinking this through? How are you pulling out the plot so that this is happening in a convincing way? Yeah, I suppose it's kind of thinking up. That probably comes back to the characters as much as anything. I think when I sort of started writing um, the book, I kind of had... Ellen, as the detective, obviously, he's going to be investigating the crime. But it was really thinking about the people who were coming to the island, their relationships with each other. Um, and, yeah, what would, I suppose, happen next and who would be the potential victim? And I think that really came from the character's backstory. I had this idea of sort of these three sisters who are very close, but the sort of bonds had loosened emotionally, geographically over time. And this sort of cousin who was a part of the family and, and sort of what, without giving away any spoilers, what had happened in her past? She's lost a sibling. How did that happen? Um, and yeah, it was sort of really exploring the sort of loosening ties, I suppose, in, within a family as you get older and no longer under the same roof, no longer have that sort of physical and emotional intimacy that you had. And yeah, the, so the sort of first victim very much came from that sort of, I suppose, yeah, tension between the characters. How are you finding all this out then? You've got, uh, as I say, that very first idea, but then you know you need to start working soon. How are you, how are you thinking of these things? Is it a written down brainstorm? Is it just kind of taking weeks away and mulling it through with your head? Yeah, I suppose it's a bit of a combination of both. I, I think you're probably always thinking about it in the back of your mind. And definitely when I'm drifting off to sleep, but it's, I don't know if um, other people kind of get this, but I have a very frustrating thing. Often as I'm drifting off to sleep, I'll have sort of a key thought and think, oh, I remember it in the morning and then I never do. So I've learned to sort of take a notebook <laughs> to bed so I can kind of write them down or jot like a note in my phone. But um, yeah, I think it's kind of a combination of sort of both. And then I will definitely physically sort of brainstorm the ideas on paper. So I'll kind of write it down. And I think it's almost given yourself permission, I think, to, to brainstorm. I think sometimes there's a temptation to sort of start writing right away and make the most of the time you have. But I think that thinking time of wondering, you know, how those bonds between each other, you know, might fracture, what might have got them to that point. I think that's actually as important as the writing process itself. It's interesting you say that, you you know, the kind of the beginning and the middle and the end and the rest is coming. What's happening about two thirds of the way through? You know where you're going to, but maybe your characters are off doing their own thing. Uh, uh, describe that process of like pulling them back. Is that something that you have to consciously do to rein them in, or are they headed in the right direction, or almost of their own accord? And yeah. it's not that much of a challenge. Yeah, that is probably, again, a, a sort of mixture of both. I think one of the key points for me is, I suppose, the middle of the novel. And I think if you've got that sort of strong middle and you know what you're doing from a plot point from that middle, I suppose it makes that sort of lead towards the ending work. But there's definite kind of room in there, I suppose, for sort of, yeah, characters to do things that might surprise you or you kind of think, oh, I'm not sure if that's working entirely. Is that building, I suppose, in the way you want it to? So, um, yeah, there's definitely kind of points in that last. I find, yeah, the last, I suppose, 
two thirds quite tricky to write because particularly if you've set up a lot of sort of threads or red herrings as, as well within a mystery, you kind of almost need to make sure you sort of tie things up as you go through. So that can be really challenging. But in general, I think if you've got that good midpoint and you know the ending, um, they're generally headed in the right way. And you mentioned earlier that sometimes you get excited and you'll write scenes that happen much later on right at the start. How much do they have to change? Yeah, they definitely have to change. I think you'll have points where I go back through and I kind of need to weave in. If I'm trying to sort of misdirect, I suppose, with um with characters, I need to kind of go back through and think, actually, I need to make that character appear more suspicious or they need to drop in a piece of information here that might misdirect the reader. So they definitely do change. But yeah, as I say, I think if they're scenes that really excite you quite often, there'll be chunks perhaps of description or action that just work really well. Because I think if you're really immersed and excited as a as a writer, um, and get that down, then that probably means the scene will work quite well for the reader as well. Um, so I think it's quite a good sign when you do have those. But yeah, sometimes can feel few and far between. <laughs> now, uh, finally, I, I would say uh, the, the Sanatorium was the best-selling debut fiction book. And uh, if you Google the book, one of the first pictures that comes up is Reese Witherspoon reading it of all things. Uh, I know that I think the rights have been sold or something, and there's a lot going on with it. How exciting is this right now for you? You're someone who uh, studied creative writing, who has wanted to be a writer for a while. You then put out your debut, and it goes the old cliche better than you literally could have imagined. How? I know it's a very simple question, but I don't know if you ever really get asked this. How how exciting is this time for you right now? Yeah, so I, no, I haven't actually been asked that question. So <laughs> it's really good. It sort of makes me think, no, it's genuinely sort of hugely exciting. I think the sort of Reese thing, I think like you said, sort of as a cliche, it's kind of beyond your wildest dreams. I didn't even vaguely dream it. I genuinely, all I hoped when I wrote the sanatorium was that, you know, I'd have a handful of readers. I was just thrilled to get it published genuinely. Um, so yeah, it is sort of beyond my wildest dreams and to have kind of people um, react that way. And like, I, I honestly, I can say as a debut, you know, I, as most writers, I I think hopefully you grow as you write more and more books. So um, yeah, I can set definitely, I'm sure in years to come and probably if I reread it now, there are things I'd like to change about it, etc. So um, yeah, it, it's such an exciting place to be that it was sort of so well received um, and it was just a really good platform for everything that'll come. I think I, yeah, um, reach so many more readers because of Reese, sort of not just in the US, but um, internationally. I mean, lots of sort of book clubs all over the world sort of follow her choices. So um, yeah, it was hugely exciting to know that I suppose as a basis for your career, you've kind of had that start. Um, and yeah, I'm just hugely sort of grateful and humbled by it. <laughs> was that out of nowhere? Or did you kind of sign up for this? Did you kind of, did your agent put you forward? Or is it just Reese Witherspoon picks up a book and thinks, oh, this is good? Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's one of those things, particularly as a debut, my book sold to the US. And I think one of the things they do, if they feel the book is right for book clubs, um, I think you have Good Morning America, you have Read with Jenna, who um, is another book club over there, they'll submit the books. But obviously, I suppose the chances of, you know, it getting picked up is 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 not very high. So it's not something they ever tell you about, I suppose, in terms of if it doesn't get picked up, you, then you would never know if you get what I mean. So um, yeah, the first thing I heard was my editor in the December, um, before the book came out in the February, she just said to my editor, my agent and I, we've got hugely exciting news. Can you hop on a Zoom call? And I was there sort of in my pyjamas, more or less in the evening, um, not knowing what it was. And she just told me. So yeah, it was completely out of the blue. My agent had no clue either. Um, 
yeah and I think like you say she just you know is sent a selection of books and she and the team read it and just pick one so um yeah <laughs> That is it with Sarah Pierce. That brand new novel, The Retreat, is out right now. You can grab a copy. We won't have a show next week. Just one week gap. I'm sorry it's been a bit up and down over the last couple of months or so. Uh, I'm sure you can appreciate how after the pandemic and lockdown, um, kind of other work that has been backed up is, is seeping into parts of the day where I really don't want it to be. But that's the way things are. So we've just got a couple more weeks. Uh, we will be back in that first Friday in August. I think it's the fifth day after my dad's birthday. I don't think this will qualify as a gift for him, but we'll wait and see. So we'll be back on the 5th of August uh, with a brand new episode. In the meantime, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com forward slash writers routine. Follow us on Twitter. We are at writers pod there. You can give us a review on Apple podcasts and get in contact at writersroutine.com. Huge thanks to Natalie Chandler, that brand new book, Believe Me Not, the story of Megan being found in a psychiatric unit, unsure if the baby she thought she had ever actually existed. The book is out right now. It's been supporting the show this week. It's called Believe Me Not. I highly urge you to get a copy. And I will see you in a couple of weeks with more from Writer's Routine. Until then, bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.